I want to talk this morning about something that we all do, something that we all brought in this morning, something that we're all going to take with us when we go home today, something that we all do. It's one of the most basic human functions. I want to talk about people wanting things. It sounds weird, but we're going to talk about our wants. We're going to talk about our desires. And the thing about wanting things is that we all want a lot of stuff. We all want different things dependent on our own different circumstances. And of those things, there are things that we want that are good, and there are things that we want that are bad. And one of the great things that we continue to learn throughout life as we grow in wisdom is we learn about the things that we desire that are bad, and we try to only want the things that are good. And that's a lifelong journey. And we could talk about that, that, that this morning. But I want us to specifically focus on the things that we desire, the things that we want that are good. I want us to talk about this morning the things that we want that are good. There's a lot of good things that people want, I feel like in church we so often hear about all the bad things we want, and that's fair, and we need to talk about that, but there's so many good things that we want. There's people that have come in this morning and, and, and people that are listening online that some of them may want things like financial stability. Well, it's not a bad thing to want. Some people came in this morning wanting a unified family. Again, that's not a bad thing that we want. Some of us came in this morning after reading the headlines of the news and wants a world with peace. It's not a bad thing to want. But what seems like happens so much is that the things that we want that are good are just the things that we can't have. The things that we want that are actually good, and we're like, this is a good thing, we can't have it for some reason. And that, 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 that issue gets even more complicated for the Christian. Because we have a God that tells us what is good and what is bad. We have a God that shows us and even tells us in Scripture about certain things that we should desire, that we should want. And we live our lives trying to align our desires with God's. But the frustration often comes when the things that we desire that are good and the things that we desire that can come from God aren't happening. We're not getting the good things that God tells us to want. Why is that? Why is that? We, 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 we pray to God, we, we toil with God, we wrestle with God about these things that are good and, we, and he doesn't supply them. Why? That's the question I want to talk about today. And I think that there's a, a passage in Scripture that talks about this well, that, that shows us at that time a group of people that wanted something and that God didn't give it to them. And based on their reactions, I think that we can draw some application for what, how that applies to our lives here today. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to go to the book of Acts we were in Acts last week, and we're going to be in Acts this week. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. Starting off in the book, we're going to be in verses 6 
through 11 today. That's where we're going to go. So grab your Bibles, however you get it, and open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 6 through 11 today. And as you're turning, allow me to bring you up to speed on the story so far. And though I say up to speed, we are still in, we're in chapter 1 of the book. I mean, how much more could have happened? This is like just the start, right? How much do you have to bring up to speed? Well, the interesting thing about the book of Acts is it's actually a part two to a greater story. The book of Acts was written by a gentleman by the name of Luke. And Luke also has a gospel that's named after him. He wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And that takes up half of the New Testament. It takes up an incredible portion of the New Testament is the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And these, these two different books tell two different stories, but they have a lot of connection. The book of Luke tells us a story of the ministry of a man named Jesus, a man who claimed to come from God, to come to the earth, to, to, to pay for the sins of the world, and to save God's people. He made that claim many different times, and he brought with him miracles that, that, would, that would prove his authority and his power. And many people believed him, but many more didn't. And that eventually culminated in the point that the, the climax of the book of Luke is when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is killed on the cross, was crucified by the authorities. And he died. And three days later, he rose from the dead. An incredible moment, an incredible thing in the history of the world. The Son of God died and rose from the dead. And from that, he claimed that his death on the cross and his, his rising from the grave was enough to pay for the sins of the world. He said that if you would believe in his death on the cross to pay for your sins, then you would be saved. It's an incredible claim if we think about it. And so that is the, the part one of the story that Luke's trying to tell. And then we get to part two, and that is where we get to the book of Acts, which continues on the mission that Jesus had on earth, where he said, just as I'm going to be a witness from God, so now I'm asking my people, my disciples, this group of men that have followed me for years to carry on the mission after me. And that's where we get to chapter 1. We learned that Jesus had appeared on and off in different points to the disciples, the followers of Jesus, for a number of weeks. We, we imagine it's about a number of weeks that that happened. And Jesus may have been with, we don't know how often Jesus was with them, but we know that Jesus came back. And verse 3 specifically tells us that Jesus came back and he spent time with the disciples and he talked specifically about the kingdom. That's what we get, specifically the kingdom of God. Remember that. That's important to this, to this passage. So he comes back on and off, talks about the kingdom of God, and, 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 and spends time with the disciples, and then we get to verse 6. We get to verse 6. I want you to paint this picture in your mind, is that these men have followed this guy claiming to be the Son of God for three years, listening to his teachings, seeing his miracles, him literally raise people from the dead, him multiplying fish to feed thousands, him healing blind people and deaf people and lame people, and him and standing up against the religious authorities of the time, claiming to have the message of salvation. And then he dies on the cross, completely shakes their foundations, and then comes back later, and he says, do you get it now? 
And they say, oh my word, Lord. And then they get to this point in verse 6 where Jesus has appeared to them on and off. And here is the first thing that they ask him. The first thing. We read this in verse 6. So when they had come together, that's the disciples and Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay. That's a very pointed question. That's a very pointed and particular question. And to understand what that question means, we need to learn a little bit about the Jewish peoples of the time and their history. At this part in history, the Jewish people are not their own independent nation. The Jewish peoples are under the control of a foreign power called the Roman Empire. I'm sure you've heard of it. And this Roman Empire was preceded beforehand by several other empires that dominated and that controlled the Jewish people and sometimes oppressed and persecuted and tortured and arrested and even killed Jewish people for believing in their God. And this had been happening for hundreds of years. And the Jewish people were fed up with this because they knew that God had given them a promise. And that promise is found in the Old Testament. God told them in the Old Testament through the words of prophets that one day they would have their own kingdom. That one day they would have a king that has come from God to be their king and to destroy their enemies. The Old Testament is filled with this, specifically the prophets. And they carried this promise with them over hundreds of years of oppression, of torture, of arresting, of killing And they carried the grief with them. And that grief built expectation. And that expectation built zeal. And that zeal built this desire that if we look through the book of Luke, the disciples are constantly asking God or asking Jesus, what about the kingdom? What about the kingdom? They almost sound like kindergartners on a road trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is it now? Is it coming? Is it almost here? Is it kind of here? And Jesus never gave them a time of when it would happen, but he talked about it a lot. Jesus cared about this promise that he had made to his people. He cared about it greatly. And then we finally get to this point where the disciples go, okay, we've had our ministry. Jesus has taught all sorts of things, done all sorts of miracles, died on the cross, risen from the dead. He's he's saved us from our sins. We can have a relationship with God. Now everything's great. So what about the kingdom? Is it happening now? Is it finally going to happen? They were greatly desiring it. And it's not a bad thing that they desire. God promised it would happen. It's a good thing that they desired. So let's go to what Jesus said in response to this. And that's found in verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Okay, hold on, Jesus. That doesn't sound like an answer. That sounds like a backwards, that sounds like trying to say something and using enough confusing words that it feels like an answer, but it's not an answer. Jesus, what are you doing here? And one can imagine that with that carried the the disciples and their desires for this kingdom to be restored And they hear that as an answer. They go, have you heard your people calling out to you for hundreds of years, desiring this kingdom to come back that you said would come back? And this is your answer? 
I'd be kind of frustrated too. But notice what Jesus is saying here. You never hear Jesus say no. You never hear Jesus say it's not going to happen. You don't hear Jesus rebuke the disciples for desiring this. There was times where he rebuked them and said, you guys need to shape up. You're missing the point here. You guys are in sin. You're messing up. He doesn't do that here. He doesn't rebuke them. But he shares with them a truth, and that is that it is not for you to know times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. He says, you don't need to know this timing. You don't need to know when this is going to happen. But there is something that you need to know. And that is found in verse 8. And he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see what Jesus did there? Jesus heard their desires. He listened to what they said. He knew of their expectation. Jesus knows all things. He knew their hearts. He he knew their desires. He knew their past. He knew their future. And he knew what they wanted here. God knows the things we desire. And he cares about it. He knows about the good things we desire and want so desperately that we spend time with him and pray with him and wrestle with him. And we sometimes sound like the kindergartner on the road trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And he cares about that. But what he does here is he redirects. He does a redirect. He says, you don't need to know that, but here's what you need to know, is that there is a greater thing happening that you don't understand. And guess what? You get to be a part of it. You are going to be my witnesses. You are going to receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Some of you are saying, what are those places? We have to remember the setting of this story is, at the time um, where they were talking here, it was probably around Jerusalem area. At least in the greater region of Israel. And he's pointing out these different places that, are, that were geographical terms that they knew very well. He said, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, right here. You're going to be witnesses in Judea, you know, around around the general area, the region. You're going to be witnesses in Samaria, your neighbors. And you're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. All over the place. But notice the beauty in him redirecting them. Because imagine this. If Jesus at that time would have said, all right, let's go restore the kingdom to Israel. He would have gone, done his thing. Israel would have been restored. Good stuff. But who else gets to hear about the message of the gospel? Who else gets to hear about salvation coming not just for the Jews, but also to the Gentiles? Who else gets to know about the fact that God doesn't just love the Jewish people? They're special in his heart, yes, but God loves more than the Jewish people. He loves all people, and he cares about all people. And he opens up the gospel in this very passage, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. An incredible theme going through the Bible is God not just desiring a relationship with his people, the Jewish peoples, but God desiring a relationship with all peoples. 
God desiring a, t- a place where all people can come and all people can worship him. And if the disciples would have gotten what they got here, they would have fallen short of God's plan. And I think that's very practical for us today, is that we can get very caught up in our desires. And we can get even more caught up when we're told that our desires are good. And we can forget about the fact that, yes, those desires are good, but they may not be happening right now for a particular reason. And part of that may, in fact, be that God has a greater plan, that God has a better plan. I mean, he was the God that created the universe. He is the God that has created this world. He is the God that created you. He is the God that knows you more than you know yourself. He is the God that has a plan for you. And don't let me, don't don't mishear the fact that he doesn't care about our desires. He does. He sits with us as as we strongly want the things that we want that we're told are good. He's with us in that. But many times his desires and his vision is so much bigger than our own that we can not even understand how great his plan is versus our plans. John, John Piper, a pastor in Minnesota, explained it well where oftentimes we, we, we look like those kids in the street that are playing with mud pies and we're content with our mud pies. Stick with me here. We're playing with our mud pies. We're in the street and we're having fun. It's a great time. Look at my mud pie. It's so cool. Look at this. I made this. This is great. And many times God is sitting there saying, okay, that's good, but now come with me. I've got something better for you. And, he go, and we go, no, I've got a mud pie. I want my mud pie. I'm happy with my mud pie. My mud pie is good. My mud pie makes me, makes me happy and excited with life. And God's saying, you don't understand how much better I have for you. You're sitting here in the road playing with mud pies when I can offer you a beautiful resort vacation. And we become so set in our mud pies that we forget about the fact that God controls all things. And he, can have a va- he has this, this idea of this vacation for us. Now, God's not giving you all free vacations to Hawaii. I'm sorry. Don't read too much into it. But what I'm saying is that God has so much better than our desires can ever understand. God has a much greater plan than we can ever form and fashion. And if we're not careful, we can get too stuck in our mud pies. Pardon the pun. The disciples were getting a little too stuck in their mud pie. It's not a bad mud pie. It's a good mud pie. It's a promise. But it's still the mud pie. Now, I need to make a distinction here in this passage. The disciples' desire is very different than the desires that you and I may have. And that the disciples' desire has the promise of Scripture that it will happen. The disciples' desire that the kingdom will be restored to Israel will happen. It will take place. How exactly it's going to work, I don't know. But does God say it's going to happen? Yes. Does that mean it will happen? Yes. And the frustrating thing for us is that though their desire is promised that it will happen to them, our desires that we deem as good aren't always promised they will happen. We aren't promised 
financial stability. We aren't promised a unified family. We aren't promised peace on earth. Well, at some point, yes, but not right now. And that's where we get really, really depressed. And we get frustrated and we say, God, I want this so badly. You know that I want this. You know that this is a desire of mine. And we, we say, but, but it's not even guaranteed, but I still want this, God. You tell me it's good. Well, let's carry on in this passage because Jesus does something here at the end of this passage that I think, I think can help us in this struggle that we have. I'm going to read to the end of the passage. So join me in verse 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now we note a couple of things there. First thing that we note is the very fact of Jesus, what, what many people call Jesus' ascension. It's what just happened, where Jesus literally ascended bodily into heaven. And when he arrived in heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God to receive the honor that he was given in fulfilling God's mission for him on earth. It's called the ascension of Jesus. At that point, Jesus had done everything that God had commanded him to do on, that, on earth. God sent him with a mission, and he accomplished that mission. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He gave people the opportunity to have a relationship with God through the forgiveness of their sins in Christ's death on the cross. That's great. But also notice what happens after. And this seems kind of an out-of-left-field event that takes place. Is as they're sitting there, first of all, they're sitting there staring into heaven. You would do the exact same thing, and you know I would too. Someone just floats into heaven. Okay. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. These two men in white robes, many people identify as angels, messengers sent from God, created beings that are not made in God's image, but are God's servants and his messengers that oftentimes communicate God's message with humans. Happens all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. But they come back and they leave the disciples with a promise. They say, What are you doing? Why are you looking? Jesus is going to come back. And guess what? He's going to come back in the same way that he left. Guys, Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to come back in the same way that he left. And notice what's happening here. And for this, you need to dig a little bit deeper into some certain passages of Scripture. These people, these disciples, desire the kingdom being restored to Israel. And then they are told that Jesus will return one day. And if you read further on in your Bibles, whether you go to the book of Revelation or even the book of 1 Thessalonians, you will find out that when Jesus returns, he is going to destroy the enemy nations on this earth and pick himself up as king over this world to enact a 1,000-year reign. 
where he is king over this world, and foreign nations will be destroyed under his feet. And you know what happens at that point? The kingdom's restored to Israel. So Jesus, in leaving, gives them a promise that goes along with their desires. God cares about our desires. He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us to sit in our frustration and in our turmoils and in our battles that we have with him. He cares for us. He loves us. He doesn't leave us alone. He's with us every step of the way. And he provides us hope along the way. And he says, yes, your desire is good. And I'm with you. But you've got something to do in the process. You've got something to do in the meantime. And this is where we get a little personal, is that we all have desires. Like I said, we all walk into this room with desires. We all got online with desires, and we're all going to walk out with desires. Some of those desires are met. Some of them are not met. That's just how it works. And like I said earlier, one of the great journeys in life is learning about whether our desires are good or bad. And so allow this passage to be a time where you yourself challenge your desires. You yourself challenge the things that you think are good, that you think you need, that you think once they happen, you will be happy. Again, I'm not saying that those good desires are bad. But if they get in the way of God's greater desires for us, that is when they can become bad. And the job that we have as Christians is to align our desires with that of God's, to come back to him. He doesn't need to come back to us, but us coming back to his desires for us. And that requires an intentional battle where we look at what we want most. We look at what directs our thoughts. We look at what guides us. And we say, God, is this honoring to you? Sure, it's good, but is this honoring to you? Is this what you want me to do? And I'll come back to verse 8, where God said, you don't get to know when these things are happening, but you do get to be witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit in all of the world. That command does not remain there for those disciples. That command is ever present for us today. We all have that task. We all are given that command. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you are one of God's children and he has given you the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation, then you are God's witness. You are God's witness. And you have been given a task to be his witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You are tasked to be a witness in your place. And from what I can tell, our Jerusalem is Battle Creek. We are tasked to be witnesses in this place that God has put us in. He's put us here for a reason. It's a very practical application that we can derive from that. But, and allow me to close soon with this is that if you come in today and you, you had your own desires, and that's not a bad thing. You can't get rid of desires. It's not how that works. But what we can do 
is know a number of things. Number one, know that God is with you in your desires. God cares about the things that stress you, that, that make you, that, that make you think that, that take up control of you. He cares. But also, God has given you an opportunity, maybe even today, to focus our desires on his desires. And we have a chance, we, our charge for you today is to align your desires with that of God's, to know where yours are going separately from where God is going. Find out where that is. Look to Scripture. Find God's mission for you, which has, has been presented to you this morning. That's our mission. We are witnesses, and we need to make sure that our desires do not get in the way of God's desires. God doesn't show us all we want, but he does show us what to do. If you're looking for one thing to write down from today, write that down. God doesn't show us all we want, but he does show us what to do. He's given us this for a reason. And this helps us to know what God would have us do. The question is, are we going to do it?